There's a lot I wanted to talk about this morning. I was like this past Shabbos to spend a gorgeous Shabbos. Such an exhilarating, uplifting Shabbos. The Siata the Shmaya. And I was like to spend a lot of time with the 10th grade, with, with many guys in the 10th grade. I just, we had such a beautiful, uplifting Zisa Shabbos. Rai Shapiro spoke Shabbos Day. It was something, a life-changing speech. Unbelievable things. I wanted to talk about his speech. I wanted to talk about how easily we can uplift others. How easily, if, if the, the, I watched the 12th grade soaring, guy after guy knocking, and how easily we can be mechazic others and pull others in, not pull them in in a way that that day they're going to steig. I'm not a super, I'm not looking that you're friendly with a guy and later that afternoon he's by second Seder. That's nonsense. I'm talking about chizuk that in 30, 50 years, 80 years he's going to be a Yari Shemayim. I'm talking about doing something that assures that that guy in 12th grade is going to steig. And easily we can pull another Bachram. Let's, let's not play chess. I want the guys to focus. But how easily we could do things that assure long-term success. I wanted to talk. We had such a beautiful Shabbos. And with such easiness, not lecturing it, lecturing anybody, you turn people off. Encouraging the next guy. Telling him a good joke. Pulling him in. Geschmack. How much we can accomplish together. That's really what I wanted to talk about this morning. However, that, however, Lemaisa, we, we heard a basura, a difficult basura for our Chabura. We heard the basura this morning that Asha Sandberg's father was Nifter. And certainly it's not my way to bring bad basuras. And, and I, I came and I had spoke to his mother this morning. And I did not want to share the, I did not want to break the news to the island. But Lemaisa, we heard a basura of one person in our Chabura, his father was Nifter this morning. And, and to just ignore that, that I'm not going to do. That little children, when they have a difficult thing to face, like ignoring it. Two friends see each other, you try to like not talk about it. You try to focus on other things. People, people ask when they come back from the from, from a Shiva house, are they okay? They just want to hear everything's the same. They're afraid of change. They, and people don't like, they go to the Shiva house, they bring up other topics. They want, they want to see that we like our Avelim to be just, they're smiling, oh, they're doing very well. They're smiling, they're cracking jokes. You're supposed to go to the Avel's house and be quiet and cry with them. You're not supposed to change the topic. That's for immature people. We could, it's, not, it's not to pretend we're sad. It's not to pretend that you don't have to wear a long face today. But the Metzius is one of our Chaveyer most is Tata. Tata went to the Olam Amos, was Nifter this morning. So, I, so we, we, it can't be ignored. I want to say, Rabbi Say, that the thought of death, the thought that a person has a limited time on this world, and a person is Nifter, and there's Olam Amos, there's Olam Abba, tremendous rewards, there's Olam Abba. But the thought of death is a tremendous push to me, tremendous push to accomplish more, to do more, to value life and to do more, accomplish, do. There's so much, it's, life is so precious, such a precious gift. When we think it's just endless, sometimes it devalues the gift to us. It makes us less appreciate every minute, every day, what we can do, how much we can accomplish. 
And I wanted to say this morning to value life. Life is so precious. Opportunities to be godly. Opportunities with our Bechira. Opportunities with our choice. Opportunities. I want to tell you something. That this morning, this morning I was extremely tired. I didn't sleep much last night. I was very, very tired. And I was clearing to go to a later minion. Not to dive in yeshiva. I had such a clear. I was busy this morning. I had spoken to Asha's mother. And I was just very tired. And I cleared to go later. But then I decided in his chus, in this Rabbi Yossi's chus, who I was zoichet to speak to, I was zoichet to go to his hospital bed a couple of weeks ago to say goodbye. And I felt, I felt that b'schusa, in his merit, that I ran to Shachris, you have to appreciate life more and utilize life more. The value of life, precious life. When I went to visit him, and I went to, I really went to tell him that he should rest assured I'm going to, Usher and I are going to be close and I'm going to take care of Usher. And when I went to visit him to tell him that, he told me I care about one thing more than any, anything else. I want Usher's davening. I want him to have a relationship to Hashem. To appreciate the beauty of life, how much can it be accomplished with life. We can give chizik to another yid. We could do so many meaningful things. Life is so precious. Value it. Appreciate life, celebrate life. <coughs> when we move to Waterbury, so it's typically not something you divulge that you're on the Hever Kaddish or not. When we moved to Waterbury, there were no choices. There were people doing the, there were a lot of old people here, and the Hever, people were coming in from other cities to, to take care of the Mason. And they told us that it's unfair. You guys are young, able-bodied men. Why should we come in from an hour away up to two hours away? People are coming into Waterbury. It's your community now. You guys have to do it. And we were really forced into service of Heber Kedisha. And I came here as a young guy, still young, but a little kid. And all of a sudden, you're cleaning bodies before you bury them. And this is what we were asked to do for a couple of years. It was an old community. There were quite a few. There was a lot of, a lot of work. And young guys are asked to clean bodies. We just come. And you don't know how you're going to react. What's your reaction going to be? All of a sudden, you're Hevra Kedisha. It's very real, very practical. What's, what, how are you going to react to such a thing? And I could tell you that I appreciated life more. I walked out happier, not sadder, happier. I come home. My wife was like surprised, full of chaos. Full of chaos. Because I appreciated life. Life is precious. To be utilized every moment to celebrate, to appreciate, to enjoy, to live life. To really live life. There's such a precious gift called life. And in, in us facing Misa, difficult thing that we're facing. A friend's father passed away to celebrate life more. Today you don't have to look. The job is not people feel they're supposed to look a certain way. A bacher asked me years later after Donnie and Ellie that in the car to Levi you were very, you didn't seem you were very, you were very happy and loud and it's very important that you don't have to put on a show for any of you. You don't owe anybody to look a certain way. Emotions don't work. Everybody reacts differently. You don't owe people how you emotionally respond. That's, not the, that's, not, that's, that's for superficial people. Superficial people want to look all sad. That doesn't do anything for Usher or for his father. The intelligent person is misbinding, thinks. The goal is that you could smile and be giddy. The intelligent person thinks. 
He's misboining. The misboining us is to appreciate life. The misboining us is to do more things that are eternal, to utilize and capitalize on life. The misboining us is to express to usher and show you care. You call him up now. Don't wait. Don't be afraid. He's the same usher. He needs to know. There's nothing smart to say. He's not going to remember. You don't give him a speech or a schmooze. You say, I'm with you. So, I'm with you. The call itself says, I'm with you. Usher, I'm with you. That's it. You have nothing brilliant to say. You know, you're not even Menachem before the Kfuru. But you tell your friend, I'm with you in this great sorrow of losing a father. You're with him. You're thinking about him. You care about him. And for ourselves to utilize life more, to be driven, to utilize that precious gift of life is so precious. There's so much to do and so much to accomplish, to utilize, to really utilize life, to utilize it to serve Hashem, to to appreciate the gifts of life. I want to read to you, there was a heroic person, I just, this morning when we're talking about appreciating life, I want to read to you something, a hero of mine, I wanted to turn to him this morning at a time when it's hard to know exactly what to say, so I want to turn to this Sadik. there's somebody who lives in our day, it's mind-blowing that a guy's alive like this, I advise you in Eretz Yisrael, maybe try to find him. Maybe it's today to try to find him. There's a year alive today, Rav Yosef Mendelovich. Rav Yosef Mendelovich is a huge tzaddik. He lives in Eretz He was from, he was a Russian Jew. Him and his friends, he grew up as an atheist. The Russians accomplished their task. The Russians fought to make Yidin forget Hashem. A whole country who's designed this evil empire that was designed to make people forget about Hashem. Religion was illegal in Russia. Punishable by going to Siberia, by death, ultimately by killing people for serving Hashem. You were not allowed to pray, you were not allowed to learn Torah. Amazing in our times. And Yidin, who grew up atheist, because the country over 70 years was successful in taking Yiddishkeit away from people, and these Yidin found the spark of truth, and they were Maisenefesh Yiddishkeit. And this Rav Yosef Mendelovich was in jail 11 years, unbelievable Messir Snefesh. He kept Tyrant Mitzvahs in jail, anything he knew, and he increased his Shmir's Mitzvahs in jail. He became firmer and firmer in jail. He was in solitary confinement a lot of the time, 11 years in the Gulag. Unbelievable torture he went through. And he stayed loyal to Hashem, didn't stay loyal, became more and more loyal to Hashem. His davening got more and more sophisticated. He became a sophisticated davener of Hashem. The way he kept mitzvahs, he made for himself tzitzis in jail. He made himself a yarmulke in jail. Unbelievable. To describe to you a man who lives in our time, I'll tell you one story. Is that he wore a yarmulke. Now, yarmulke is not a chiyuv. It's a minog, a yarmulke. To show yore melika. We have it. We have somebody above us. Yore melika. We have somebody above us. We wear something, a head covering, representing we have somebody above us. A minog. But bishas hashmad. When, the, when, when other people are trying to get us away from our religion, so then even for a minute you give up your life. This that you only give up your life for the big three is only if they're not doing it to get us away from Hashem. They're doing it for other motives. But if they're doing it to get us away from Hashem for a minute, you give up your life. Yosef Mendelovich held of Yosef Mendelovich that in Russia that, 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 not he held, they were trying to get us away from Hashem. He wouldn't give up a minute. Kill me, I'm not giving up a minute. 
So he was makbed to wear a yarmulke that he made himself in jail. He made himself a yarmulke. Remember, he was just becoming from in jail. He made himself a yarmulke, and he refused to take it off. Now he's in the gulag, and they told him, "You want to see your tata take off your yarmulke?" He said, "No." He wanted. He was dying to see his tata. He said, no. He had, his mother had passed away. He loved his father. He said, you want to see your father? You can see him. Take off your yarmulke. No. They brought his father to the jail, to the next room. Had him talking. He was craving to see his father. They said, take off your yarmulke and you come to the next room to see your dad. He said, no. Take off your yarmulke. He heard his father talking. He was craving to give his tata a hug. He never saw his father again in his life. His father passed away. He didn't go to the next room. He wouldn't take off his yarmulke. He wouldn't take off his yarmulke. He wouldn't give in on one iota of Yiddishkeit. He didn't give him one iota of Yiddishkeit. They're trying to make me away from Hashem. I won't give in a minug. A minig is thrill. He wouldn't take off his yarmulke to see his father in the next room. So I want to read to you a little bit appreciation of life, appreciation of a Kesher Tashem, all the way to the epilogue. He wrote an amazing book. It's called Unbroken Spirit about his life. Unbelievable book about his life in jail. But at the end of the book he says his fathers, he says as follows, you may remember that as I recalled my childhood, I described how evil men imprisoned my dear father for a crime he had not committed. The world seemed to be upside down. All that had once been secure no longer seemed so. He had a beautiful family. Beautiful family. They were, they weren't Mamin and Bashem. They were raised in a country that had taken, that had really fought for them to lose Emunah. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, his father was taken into jail. The secure home fell apart. No justice, no one to rely on. Who could save us from disaster? I didn't even know that soon my mother would leave us forever. While his father was imprisoned, his mother passed away of a broken heart. Yet darkness and oblivion encroached upon me. My entire life I've carried within me the image of a miserable and frightened Jewish family facing a large menacing court building where my father was to be sentenced. A family powerless to save our loved one from a terrible fate. To save him and to save us. And then an unexpected cry rose from my heart. There's a boy raised as an atheist. And his father is in trial for a crime he didn't commit. The whole family is shaken. And all of a sudden, a tefillah came out of himself. Please, O Hashem, save us. I was frightened by my own cry. What was happening to me? To whom was I appealing? <clears throat> Looking back, I now understand that for the first time in my life, I was praying. But how? No one had taught me of our merciful Father in Heaven who possesses the power of salvation. On the contrary, I'd been taught that there was no God. But the pure soul of a child somehow knew there was indeed someone who could save us. So that is what happened. God revealed Himself to me and I have followed Him all the days of my life since. Perhaps that first feeble prayer, so full of weeping and pleading, was primitive. Save my father and I will follow you. Perhaps nothing more might have come out of it than a weepy, frightened child who in a time of crisis recognized that a great force existed that held the power of salvation. 
unfortunately, something else happened. That first moment of connection with the child's soul gave birth instead to an ever-intensifying faith. Only five years after that initial encounter with Hashem, I found myself working as an activist in an underground movement dedicated to reinvigoration of Russian Jews. A few years later, he hijacked the plane to bring it out of the country, which is why he was arrested. Ten years later, I had already become a brave warrior, weapon in hand in the struggle to redeem the people of Israel. Before our fateful arrest at the airport, I told my friends, there is no meaning in the life of a slave that cannot be true to himself. We were arrested and sentenced. We did not panic nor weep, nor beg our oppressors for mercy. We did not betray our people. Miraculously, the people of Israel, together with good people the world over, stayed the hand that had been raised against us, and we were spared. In my view, the trial and sensing were at the beginning of the story. A man can discover deep within himself spiritual strength and momentary transcendence. But it's a different matter to withstand the monotonies of imprisonment day in and day out for years at a time. I must confess that my 11 years in prison were not all gray and wearying. Each day brought a new discovery, a new joy. Appearances were to the contrary. If you would have seen him in jail, you would have said an onlooker who saw me would have pronounced me miserable. Indeed, what joy could be left to a starving slave laborer in the freezing expanses of Siberia? And yet, I experienced it differently. It looks like his life wasn't a life. Starving, hungry slave laborer in the middle of Siberia, frigid Siberia, routinely weather in the negative. And yet I experienced it differently. For starters, I was accompanied by the knowledge every day we sat in prison brought more Jews from exile to freedom. No less important, however, I experienced each day as another miraculous step towards coming close to Hashem. Every day was exhilarating for him because he was coming closer to Hashem. Even in prison, I knew how not to be a slave. I knew that a slave is not one who is physically hemmed in by bars but one who is controlled by external forces that consume him and rob him of his life and from which he cannot escape. You hear that line? One more time. I knew that a slave, he's sitting in jail, slave labor in Siberia. And this year, this is the line I want you to hear to teach us about life. To teach us about life and living life. He's sitting as a slave labor in Siberia and in his, from his mind is never getting out. I knew that, or a good chance not getting out. And he says the following line, I knew that a slave is not one who is physically hemmed in by bars, but one who is controlled by external forces that consume him and rob him of his life and from which he cannot escape. I remember the 50-day hunger strike I staged near the end of my imprisonment as a demand to be permitted to study Torah. He fasted for 50 days. He had a rule, he only drank water. For 50 days he went on a hunger strike in a demand that they let him study Torah. I consciously aim not to indulge in self-pity, not to falter, but to carry on normally. Prayer, exercise, and conversations with the student in the next cell. He was always being the care of other yidn in jail. One day I was in solitary confinement doing nothing. I no longer felt that I had to do anything in order to sense Hashem's closeness. That sense of closeness granted me the renewed vigor I needed to prevail. 
One man versus all the forces of evil. That is the secret of inner fortitude. 30 years later, I'm living the life of a free man in Israel. As everyone knows, the life of a free man possesses at least as many difficult challenges as the life of a prisoner or a slave. He still sees life. He doesn't say, now everything's just perfect. He said, the life of a free man possesses at least as many difficult challenges as the life of a prisoner or a slave. Someone who called to urge me to publish this book accurately observed, the value of your book lies in the fact that you have so faithfully and and consistently continued to live the life you began all those years ago. He was right. If I were to honestly ask myself, are those values you believed in? The people of Israel, the land of Israel, the Torah of Israel, Eretz Yisrael, Torah and Klal Yisrael, are they still significant to you? I would answer yes, yes, yes. Not only have I not veered from the path on which I originally set out, but I have progressed along it. I have studied a great deal of Torah. He's a Talmud Chacham today with children and grandchildren. We're Avdei Hashem. And aware of how much I do not know, I wish to learn much more. I have endeavored to act for the good of the Jewish people here in Israel and wish to do so much more. It is for this reason I feel privileged to address Jews all over the world. I know only too well how difficult it can be to endure life when things seem gray and depressing, when our sense of hope and meaning is lost. I too nearly reached this point of such despair, yet I found a way to elude my weakness, to find myself, and to be as my Creator wishes me to be, strong and joyful. And thus I call to the reader of this book, follow me towards a life of joyful purpose and meaning. That's what I wanted to read to the guys. From somebody who learned to appreciate life, value life, who lived as a free man in the most trying of conditions, he lived as a free man. That's what I tell the Eilam. On a day that is somewhat difficult, I say to the guys to value life, appreciate life. A life of freedom, of living real choices and decisions, not being owned and controlled by foreign forces. I always used to wonder, this is the best part about drugs. I always wondered what it means, Ein ben Chernel, Mishiasik The only free man is Isaac and Tyre. I always wonder, what's that called free? It's a great life, an uplifting life, an exalted life. Why is that called free? And I was yoyred when I saw drugs, and I saw people who were doing things they don't want to do, consistently hurting themselves, that the possibility to do things you don't want to do, you think if you do it, you want to do it. No, our essence, our essence is a lekai neshama shenasata The neshama that you gave me is pure. We have a massive drive to serve Hashem, every one of us. We know that we don't speak about wanting in yeshiva. We all have an neshama that craves, that wants. We don't need a want to want, a want to want, a want to want. We have an neshama that craves, that has a massive choka, an unbelievable desire. We don't need to work on wanting. We have an neshama that craves. Then the question is, do we be true to our cravings or not? Do we get lost in other things that own us? Do we get in jail? Do we get imprisoned by other ones? When I saw drugs, I saw jail. And I said, Kayla, Shitshayach to you, you have your own jails. You have your own jails that stop you from doing what you want, what you believe in, what you feel is right and precious. All sorts of things that stop you from doing what you want, from being who you want to be. 
I watch fathers who are 40s and 50s, like, oh, they want to be such a better father. So what stops you? So be what you want. Stop groaning and be what you want. I watch men who want to be better husbands. Stop wanting, be what you want. Live what you want, but they're in jail. They're not free. The life of Tyre is the life to be who you want and what you want. To be true to our inner chokas. That's a life. That's a chayim. That's a ben chayim. That's a free man. I am who I want to be. I'm always amazed. Pesach night is the night of freedom. There's not a night all year that we follow instructions more than Pesach night. Reb Revdi used to joke about it and describe like the whole Seder. You're looking in Yagada. Okay, do we cover the matzahs? Cover them. Cover them. Uncover. Cover. Everybody's trying to cover. Uncover them. It's like the night. Tati is covered. Well, you saw everybody is bossing you around. Your book's bossing your wife's bossing your. And everybody's book says a different thing. Went to cover and uncover. So you only, it says to cover. Hold the case. Put that. The cut. My night of freedom. The, 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 the you know the, the secular person is watching your night of freedom. Yeah. Real free tonight. Lift the kite. Oh, I'm sorry. Everybody has a different thing at your say to when you should lift it. Your four year old daughter. My motor set. Lift it. Oh, your motor. I'm sorry. Put it down. You. They not still lifting. Oh, I'm sorry. You go up, down, cover, uncover. On our night of freedom, sixty four misses the grass said I believe that night. The whole night, chiyuvim, maror, matzah, chiyuvim, shiurim. Look at the size, too big, too small. My father's saying the shiurim are too big. All the frumis are saying your shiurim too small. Everybody's telling me how much to eat that night. I'm measuring my night of freedom, guys. I'm measuring how much I should eat on my night. My night of freedom, gewaldin. Everybody's telling me a different shiur, difference. How much of the cup do I have? Did I drink enough? My night of freedom, boys. Did I drink enough? The right amount, a little more, a little less, another what type of wine? Red wine? Not what? This is all my night of freedom. But the answer is that our, you, do, you can't understand it if you don't know we have an Hashem that craves to serve Hashem. Once you know that, then we're being true to what I want. And my soul desire is I want to be an Ebed Hashem. A man on his deathbed, this Yid, Rav Yassi, Rav Yosef Yitzchak, this Yid, Asha's father, said what I care about my son is make sure he talks to Hashem. A man who there was no fake, he was 80 pounds when I spoke to him. A man who was barely on this earth, all he cared about, make sure my son talks to Hashem. Relationship to Hashem. That's our deepest desire. This little child, Yosef Mendelovich, was brought up an atheist. And he says, all of a sudden, he started praying to his creator. He just understood a truth as a creator. He didn't even know. He said it shocked himself. It scared himself. Can you imagine a kid raised an atheist who all of a sudden finds himself praying? So talking to Hashem. Hashem, please save my father. You know what that means? He, had, he hadn't understood. No teacher taught him this. He had an understanding that we have a creator who has all the power in his hands. Mamish understood. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elikeinu, Hashem Echad. He has all the power. That's Elikeinu. He's all the power. Kol Yochel. Able to do anything. He understood Hashem Elikeinu, Hashem Echad. He understood the truths. Unbelievable, this youngster. He understood Amunah. And he understood that life's about being loyal to Hashem. It's our deepest desire. The person has to be true to his desire. That's a free man. Somebody removes all the shackles, all the things that stop us from doing what our deepest desire is. That free man just serves Hashem sincerely, truthfully, properly, serving his creator. Freedom. Freedom. Unbelievable freedom that the person serves his creator. 
So I wanted to give you over these words. Who was, I ask you, who was more free? Yosef Mendelovich in jail, who every single day, if you would see a picture, I never could picture a more lying picture, you would see this guard with a gun, a big bayonet, in front of his cell, and you would see the Jewish prisoner inside. I would ask you, who's the free man? The bayonet in front, following the Tsar's order, or not the Tsar at the time, following the, the, the president of Russia's orders, or that prisoner inside, who is being more true to their essence, to what they want to be, to who they want to be, who is freer? <laughs> you have a man in jail who every single day said was better than the next, because he was developing his relationship to Hashem. Mamish, a free man, unbelievably free man. He describes, he had a whole bunch of, he, was, he, was, he had a series of ethics that he lived by, no matter what, come what may. Like I said, he'd get his life, he'd give up for it. He wouldn't take off his yarmulke. He had things he was going to live. I want to read to you. I want to read to you, I want to read to you the end. When they finally t- kicked him out of Russia, they didn't tell him they're freeing him. They didn't tell him they're freeing him. He doesn't know what's happening. And they bring him to a big building. After being years in jail, he, he describes what it feels like to enter a building he hadn't seen like luxury like this in years. And he says, they bring him to this building, and there's some, he said, behind this desk is several somber, expressionless men, civilian clothes, are sitting motionless. One of them gets to his feet. There's a year in jail, 11 years. In the name of Supreme Soviet of the Soviet of the in the name of Supreme Soviet of the Soviet Union, I hereby declare that you have been deprived of your Soviet citizenship due to behavior unworthy of a Soviet citizen, and you will therefore be deported immediately. That's the way they're telling him he's free from jail. You're deprived of Soviet citizens, you're going to be deported. Thank God, he responds. From the country, and I'll let it say anything about Hashem. He says, Baruch Hashem, thank God, he says in Russian. What are you so happy about? Solzhenitsky wept when we expelled him. Solzhenitsky, you banished from his homeland. Me, you're banishing to my homeland. No more talking, they told him. Sign here. The form says that 800 rubles have been taken from your funds to buy clothing teeth for you. These rags cost that much, he said, about the clothing he was wearing. The balance of your money, another 800 rubles, cannot be given to you. The banks are closed. It means all your money is being stolen from you. I demand my money, he says to them. Now, he knew he's not getting his money. But if you read the book, I say this merely to register that I'll not allow them to rob me without a response to me. But I know that I'll get none of it back. That was just his dignity. He kept his, his surah Adam. He would, he would, he would, um, he always would like answer back. That was his surah Adam. I demand my money. <laughs> demand. They're not giving you money. But that was his way. I'm a person. I, he never, you're not going to strip me of my manhood. I demand my money. Dignified person. You're not going to strip me of my dignity. Then another search during which they confiscate everything, including photos and my father's letters. I'm not going anywhere until I get it all back, I say. We're not asking you if you'd like to go. We're kicking you out by force. Wearing my new clothes and a gray hat, I'm bundled into a car and we're escorted through the city by an entourage of motorcycle caps, as though we were a presidential motorcade. Just like that, in a single night, Yosef is liberated from Pharaoh's prison and becomes a free man. 
I feel more keenly than ever that our lives and the life of our people are made of miraculous stuff. He never thinks he's getting out and he's just awed. At the airport, the car abruptly stops and turns around. Are we returning to the prison? No. I am told we're going straight to the plane. I'm warned not to try to talk with anyone. Before boarding, I noticed the colonel, who was the head of Jewish affairs at the KGB. I know that he's releasing me against his will, and it occurs to me that when your enemy is in retreat, you ought to pursue him. He's not backing down. This man's tough. Listen, Colonel. You arrested me for trying to fly to Israel, and now you yourself are buying me a ticket out. I know you're allowed. I know you've allowed some 300,000 Jews to leave the Soviet Union, but many more are left. And I'm telling you that if you don't let them all go, the regime will collapse. I surprised myself. I had threatened him, but was still in his hands. His answer surprised me even more. It seemed he belonged to a new generation that would, in the next few years, usher in reforms and a democratic society. He became serious. That might be true. We hadn't imagined the strength of your willpower and determination. I asked myself whether I could take any credit. I am a simple man. It was not my will, but the will of Hashem that his people should be freed from Russian exile. At last, he's free. He gets out. Amazing story. Amazing story. Is the head of the Jewish Federation went to Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he told him that I'm going to meet Yosef Mendelovich. He said, "Bring him a talis and tefillin." He told the Lubavitcher Rebbe told him to bring a talis and tefillin. I asked Singer to teach me how to put on the tefillin for the first time in my 33 years of life. He was 33 years old when he got out. I wrapped myself in the sacred tefillin the first time in his life. Upon getting out, the Rebbe said to meet him with Tfilin, and he put Tfilin on the first time in his life. Anybody who wants the name of the book's Unbroken Spirit. It's about Rav Yosef Mandelovich, this Sadik, who, who understood, who learned in jail and understood in jail the meaning of life. And I say to us, Rabbi, I say to us that let's talk and be mechazik to appreciate, to celebrate life, to live life to joy, with joy, with happiness, and to bring simcha to others. I remember Abaisa years ago. This past Friday was the yard site of Shaya Tversky. And I remember years ago, was it Adar Rishain also? So it's Adar Shani. So it's not, it's not really yard site, okay. It's, he was, it's Yud Aleph, it's Yud Aleph, right? Yud Adar Shani. Yud Adar Shani. Right, 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 it's Yud Adar Shani. That year, there was two others that year? Yes. Wow. Wow. 11 years ago? 12 or 11? It was 03, Some more? Yeah. How many years ago? It's 13 years ago, right, Brownstein? No, 12. <laughs> what? 13 years ago. 12 and a half. Remember? That was the Savannah year? I forget that was the same year. Every six years? Every seven or nineteen years. 
Seven. Rabbi, so I want to tell you that I want to tell you that after we went through, after we went through that, after we went through that, so I remember the the Shabbos that was on a Friday. Remember the Shabbos and the Purim, the subsequent Purim that was only a couple of days later. And I want to say that that when a person has meaningful life, when a person has a meaningful, real meaningful life. When you face when you face difficulties, you only appreciate life more, because we have a meaningful life and we have real lives to live. We only have more value of life. I want to say that for years I wondered the two reactions, the two reactions to death. There's the reaction of appreciating life more and living more meaningful lives, and then there's the reaction: eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow will die. There's the reaction to death of being an Epicurus, Epicurean theory of life, of why do I need Ruchnius? Well, who needs I look, forget Ruchnius, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow will die. The two reactions are divert or live. Either divert from lives, eat, drink and be merry. Try to just, not to think, because life's temporary. Or it's value it and utilize it and turn it into eternity. And I want to ask the Ulam, let's turn it into eternity. Let's value life and do meaningful things. The greatest thing you can do with your life is to become a giver, is to care about the Zulas. That's the greatest thing, is you can live a life of purpose, doing for others, being godly. Hashem is a native. Care about others, I think about others, care about us. Care about your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your family. Care about others. Hakarov Karv Kaidim. Those that are close come first. Your mother comes before any friend of yours. Your father, your mother and father, the closer people are to you, give to them. Your relatives come first, your doormate comes before some person in Ethiopia. Your people come before a guy. That's the rule. The closer to you become a giver, I say. Become a giver. Care about those around you. Care about your roommate, your floor mate, your apartment mate. Care about the Zulas. Be a giver, Rabbi Say. There's so much giving out to do. There's so much to accomplish. Become a giving person. Don't be self Shani me money. And I'm for myself, what am I? Be about somebody else. Be about I watch a bacher moping around Yeshiva. I think to himself, you can give chizik to others. You know how you would be? If you'd give chizik to others, he walks around, he drags in. Give chizik to the next person in what way, in any way you can. In your style and your flair. Don't imitate anybody. Everybody has what to offer for others. Everybody has what to offer for others. Tremendous amounts to offer to others. Go and bring it. Bring it and give it. Somebody sent me a text late last night. It was a bucker. They didn't appreciate so much. They didn't know much about it. They didn't think there was... They didn't realize how much was there, and they got into an extended conversation. They started texting me the worlds they found. People are rich, I say. Don't underestimate anybody. People are rich. There was, in, in the Musa Yeshiva, the altar of Nevardik is his, my, my, my Rebbe's wife is a great granddaughter. In that family, there was Ravram Yafin. Ravram Yafin was a big Baal Musa, and he said that a person is an Olam Katan, a person's a mini world. Whatever's in the world is in a person. 
Persons in, in, in Kabbalah, there's such a concept that a person is an oilum cut in a small world. So he said, in the world, there's underground oil. Deep under the ground, there's this mineral that caused countries become wealthy from it. They become billionaires from this mineral. So he said, what is the oil in the person? It's the hidden talents of the person. We were Zaycha Eli Gurwitz, his father spoke to us, and he really had one message. His message was that he was 19 years old, he didn't know he, had, he could play piano didn't know. A math teacher said something to him and he ran to a piano. He didn't know he was great at math and he didn't know that piano was all math. A math teacher said that piano is all math. He ran to a piano. Today he's an expert pianist. He's a world class pianist who plays across the world to big crowds. And Mr. Gurwitz's message to us was profound. That there are talents you don't know you have. There's koichas in a person. You're, you end up with egg on your face. You underestimate anybody. My father, who's an observer of life, and for those who know him, is not one to big exaggerations. He always tells the class, look at the, look at the guy who gets the worst grades in English and be nice to him. He's going to be the richest guy in the class. Always the guy, eh, what's going to amount to? Be careful. Don't underestimate people. People have richnesses in them. I'll never forget a certain Rebbe asking me, I was out of town, and a Rebbe said, No, an old Rebbe of a bucker. How's that guy doing? He said, That guy like lit up. That guy, the guy is like the best guy in the world. How's he doing? He's a master. Where do I start? Like, if I had the opportunity to talk about what to, one of our Hevra, I could talk for How's that guy doing? I went crazy. So I started going crazy, and he saw I was serious. The guy's face was in shock. He said, that kid, he was in shock. I was so surprised by the shock. He was in shock. He was in shock. We have unbelievable kaychas in us. Do you understand that Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva's father-in-law, Rabbi Isai, was, was, Rabbi Kiva's father was one of the most giving people in the world. What was his name, Rabbi Kiva's father-in-law? Why was he called Kalba Savua, hungry dog? Because people would come to his house like hungry dogs, and they would leave completely satiated. He was a giver. His very name spoke about his giving. He was the ultimate giver. His name was what a giver. He would satiate hungry dogs. He was a tremendous giver. His daughter married a Buck Amaretz, such an Amaretz, he said on himself, if the guy would learn one Mishnah, I'd be happy. But the guy was incapable of learning diddly squat. Incapable. So what did he do to his daughter? He had a value for Torah, a man who was a giver. Went against his nature and he said, you marry such an Amaretz, you can't have any honor for my possessions. This Sadiq, whose want was to give, whose essence was that of a giver, but he valued Tyra. He said to his daughter, you're excommunicated from my chasm, he's a wealthy man. You marry a guy who doesn't learn one Mishnah? You can't have anything from my chasm. The guy goes to Yeshiva and becomes one of the greatest Talmud Chasm who ever lived in Bikiva. And, 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 that, and, and Taisvis says, that's normal, that's not unusual. A person goes to Yeshiva, and wants to stay this tremendous greatness in a person. It speaks about the greatness of the Yid and the greatness of Tyra. That's normal. Rabbi say that's normal. This greatness never underestimate a person. There's greatness in people. Look to unlock the next person. I spoke to a father this morning. And I said to the father on his son, a certain father, I said, it's there. I just can't unlock it. We can't get to it. There's everything there. We can't unlock it. 
We can't free it. I can't teach him what's there. I can't unlock it. But I'm, we're going to get the whole yeshiva working, unlock the next person. Not do Musa. Don't you dare lecture. You don't lecture great people. Just hug him. Just appreciate him. Hear him out. Talk to him. Say words of encouragement. Maybe one of you will unlock him. But there's greatness in people. Be there for others. Be a person who values others, who gives to others, who respects others. Live for the Zulas. That's to live. All of us should be zeichet to long lives. And we should be zeichet equally important to long lives, to living life, to its fullest, to utilizing life. All of us should be zeichet. You're not menachem the mishpacha yet, so in its time the mishpacha should see its nechama.